0: Ordinary people, empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. This is the Acts of the Apostles. For more information, go to carolinesprings.church Hey, thanks for coming to our 8th birthday party. I've been to some 8th birthday parties and they're a bit louder than that. Alright, so you can improve. Um, it's, it's really good to be with you and celebrate just some of what God has been doing over the last year. Uh, it is the one time of the year where I wear a tie as well, and um, the compliments have been coming thick and fast, so thank you both. So um, <laughs> we are in the book of Acts, and uh, we have been for some time now. We're spending about, I think it's nearly 30 weeks up until Christmas Day, covering the whole book. And we've been largely just working verse by verse through each chapter as we go. This morning, I'm going to depart from that, and um, partially because I need to be really quick and I've already burned some of my time, and um, partially because I want us to be thinking back on the year uh, that's passed and looking forward to the year ahead. Um, I've got like five points that I'm kind of. Uh, going to draw out from the from the text this morning. So the text is Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to chapter 16, verse 10. I'm not going to read it this morning as we normally do, um, but I'm going to cover most of it, all right? So if you want to find that, someone have a page number for us? 897, 897, all right. And the five points that I'm going to draw out this morning are the A, B, C, D, E of success at CSA. And if you're like a type A note-taking type and you're normally frustrated by our sermons that don't seem to have any form to them, this is your morning, the A, B, C, D, E of success. And uh, I'm just going to work through these and show you where where I found them in the text um, but just sort of as a, as a little disclaimer, I know that in Christian circles, sometimes when you talk about success, it can make people a little bit wary. Like, should the church really be on about success? Sounds a bit businessy, sounds a bit, I don't know, sportsy. Um, but the fact is that we believe very, very strongly that we have been given a mission by God in this church. That the Bible very clearly outlines the sort of meta mission for the church, and we understand it in these terms at this at this church here. We believe that we exist to be a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. So, if that's our mission, then every mission that has ever been undertaken has had the uh, had the the end game being the success of that mission, right? So, we want to be successful in the mission that God has given us. And I think these five things are are ways that God wants to use us as His people in this place to achieve that mission. So, let's dive right in. Um, I'm going to start at point A. We need to adopt the mission. This goes for everyone who would be a regular member of this church. We need to adopt the mission. And when I was coming up with the A for this, I, I first came to that we need to accept the mission. And then I changed it from accept to adopt because there's a very important difference between those two things, right? You can accept the mission without adopting the mission. You could even join this church on the basis of the mission. You could see it on the big banner on our website and say, yep, well, I'm down with that and accept it and come along and then contribute very little to the success of the mission. So rather than just accept or give assent to, we want people to adopt the mission. And that means that you're probably going to find yourself in some uncomfortable situations. If you are going to be part of a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus, that's going to get uncomfortable, but it's so worth it. We've seen right throughout the book of Acts that all of uh, Jesus' disciples have so thoroughly adopted the mission of the church that it's completely changed their lives forever. And particularly in this last little section that we've been looking at, at Paul and Barnabas' first and second missionary journeys, we've seen that their adoption of the mission has meant everything to them. And so we read in verse 36, this is what it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Paul has so adopted the mission of the church that he is going to leave the relative comfort of Antioch where he's settled down now for a little while, where the church is seeming to go pretty well, where he's got friends, where he's got people who can provide for his needs. And he's going to go back through the towns where what happened? He was imprisoned, he was persecuted, he was stoned to the point of death. They were chucking rocks at his body until they thought he was dead, so they stopped and dragged him outside. That's called adopting the mission of the church. And it causes people, ordinary people, like you and me and Paul, to leave comfortable places for the sake of the gospel. Remember... We've said the book of Acts is all about ordinary people empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. What was true for Paul and his friends is true for us. The circumstances have changed. You're probably not going to get stoned to the point of death. Probably not. But that thing that you fear even more than being stoned to the point of death, you know, that ostracism from from the social networks that you're a part of, that fate worse than death, that might be your calling if you're going to fully adopt this mission that God has given us. You remember Paul's words, and we've quoted it over and over. It just, it just elicits in me this, just this, such a sense of commitment to the cause. His words in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He says, He, Jesus, All of life is all about Jesus. So he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Verse 29, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. That's called adopting the mission. To this end, I strenuously contend. This is everything. This is, I'm sold out. I'm all in. I've adopted the mission that God has given me. Because all of life is all about Jesus. So, first way, first key to our success in achieving the mission is to adopt the mission. Second thing, B, we need to build strong community. Here's the thing. This is absolute fact. This mission that we have cannot be done alone. You cannot do this alone. By definition, to be a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus requires just more than you to do it. But apart from the fact that by definition we need community, and that means more than one person, God has so, in his economy, organised the church and the world that his plan gets accomplished through groups of people, not through individual. We are, like, you just need to open your eyes to this. We are the most individualistic society that's ever lived. Even some of you who are from cultures that are more community-focused, you're still more individualistic than anyone else that's ever lived. And we need to just put that aside and recommit to be the community that God has called us to be and created us to be. It's a family. We do this together. This is not about the guy standing up the front and yelling. This is not about a certain amount of leaders pulling everyone along. This is about all people getting together, building strong community, and working towards the mission that God has given us. Now, if you've done your homework and you've read ahead, or maybe you just read through the passages I've been talking, you're going to probably say, this is a weird one. To be talking about strong community. Read with me, verse 37 to 40. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. This is like seemingly catastrophic for the mission of the church. These two guys on their two missionary journeys have been like just cataclysmically successful. Talk about success of the mission! like it's just crazy. The amount of people they've preached to, the amount of dangers that they've navigated, the amount of people who have become Christians is phenomenal, and now right when it seems to matter most, they break their relationship. They have this falling out over John, Mark. If you look back at um, chapter 13, verse 13, we read that uh, on their first missionary journey from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. It's a lot of peas, Where John left them to return to Jerusalem. John, Mark... A resident of Jerusalem, started out with them on their journey, probably saw what it meant to actually be one of Paul's companions in this crazy, crazy missionary journey, and he decides he'd like to go home now. He turns back. He goes back to Jerusalem. His mum and dad are in Jerusalem. His, his, His home is in Jerusalem. He goes back and deserts them. And Paul is still ticked about it. So when Barnabas, his key partner in ministry, says, we should take John Mark, he's like, no, nah, not him. So here's, here's why we need to build strong community. We need to build strong community in this church because if you participate in the mission of this church, then you will come across situations like this. You can't live as a family And not have conflict. Amen? We can't do this all of life, all about Jesus thing. And avoid conflict. We can't. Paul and Barnabas couldn't. And neither can we. The point is, if you build strong community. Which is rooted in our identity as brothers and sisters who have been adopted by the king if we build community on that basis, then it can survive conflict. The community can survive conflict without church splits, which are a dime a dozen. The fellowship can survive it. The community can survive it. And the mission can survive it. How do I know? That's exactly what happened with Paul and John Mark and Barnabas. We know from New Testament letters that Paul wrote after this time, that we're looking at here in Acts, he refers to Barnabas very, very generously, very affectionately. And even John Mark, the guy that deserted him, the guy that was like, you're you're dead to me, you're not coming on this trip. Even that guy, listen to this, read on the overhead, is what Paul says about him in his letters. So Colossians four ten. He says, My fellow prisoner, this is when he's in jail, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Just so he knows, this is the Mark I'm talking about. He was Barnabas's cousin. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark, John Mark, the guy who deserted Paul, is now ministering to Paul in prison. In first century prisons, if someone didn't come and take care of you, you died. Of starvation. There wasn't a government making sure he got three square meals, right? Who, who's there ministering to Paul in prison and Aristarchus in prison? It's Mark. It's John Mark. Philemon, verse 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. You ask him in Acts chapter 15 and 16, who is John Mark? Well, he's the guy who deserted us. You ask him in Philemon, he's my fellow worker. The relationship has survived the conflict because it's based in Christian community. They're brothers. And finally, in 2 Timothy 4, he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Of all the people he wants Timothy to bring to him, it's Mark. This is why we need to build strong community so that it can survive the conflict that we're bound to have. And then far from John Mark being rejected or cast aside or or God failing to use him because of his abandonment of Paul and Barnabas, John Mark goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. So that's why we need to build strong community, not only so that we can do mission together, but so that we can survive the conflicts that are bound to come. So adopt the mission, build strong community. Then we need to cultivate a culture of encouragement. Cultivate a culture of encouragement. You see Paul doing this right right throughout. We've been seeing, especially the last couple of weeks, this is like his full-time job, is just the job of encouragement. He's got, up until this point, Barnabas who they called Barnabas. His name was Joseph. They changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's a good name for your friends to give you, right? Like, you are so encouraging. We're changing your name, all right? So that was their whole job, along with preaching the gospel, was encouraging the Christians. And he continues to do it. Verse 41, he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, Those two words, encourage and strengthen, are very closely tied in the New Testament. To encourage someone is to strengthen them. We sometimes use the word edification, right? Edify, an edifice, it's to build someone up. And so the church exists to edify one another, to encourage one another. It either exists to encourage one another or it exists to cut one another down. And I don't know about you, but I've had the displeasure of being part of churches who are so critical and so discouraging. They have forgot that they exist to edify one another. That's not to say that we shouldn't be critical. Like we're going, to talk, we're going to vote in the parish council for the coming year. Their whole job is to be critical of our church. To critique it, to make sure that we are on the mission that God has given us. There's a difference between critiquing something and being critical of it. Cutting it down, disparaging it, discouraging it. So we need to cultivate this culture. And this is a gift. The Bible mentions this as a gift. That you can cultivate, that you can strengthen, that you can fan into flame. One of the the best things you could do as a member of our church is ask God to cultivate in you, to fan into flame the gift of encouragement. You, you could change the game for us. Because even though we've had a really fruitful, encouraging year, if you've read through the reports, you'll see there are times that were tough. There are times that are difficult. There are times that are barren. Ministry isn't easy. And so if you're an encourager, it can make all the difference. There's a study on marriage done by Gottman, and he he kind of says, basically, for a marriage to flourish, you need to have about 10 positive interactions for every one negative one. So those of you who are married, just do the test. You're failing? Yeah, me too. All right. It's the same in church life. There are always going to be negative, critical comments coming in. We need to cultivate a culture of encouragement, so that negativity can't take root. So that's what Paul did. He went throughout the churches. He went back into the lion's den. He strengthened them. He encouraged them. And then he did D, develop new leaders. We need to be a church like Paul's churches in the book of Acts that develop new leaders. So we see this, we get introduced to a, a kid named Timothy, chapter 16, 1 to 3. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So, Paul's heard about this kid. He's probably, him and his mum were became Christians in the first missionary journey, the part of that church that they planted. And now he's going back and he's strengthened them and he gets word. He's hearing, this, this kid Timothy, he's, you should check him out. He's got skills. He's got, he's, got, he's got competency. He's got character. And so he goes and he seeks out Timothy and then he wants to take him with him. He wants to mentor him. He wants to take him on the road and apprentice him. And that's what he does. And this is exactly what we want to do in our church. Paul has his Timothy. Paul has his Timothy who he's going to mentor, who he's going to train, who he's going to pray for, who he's going to show the ropes to. And then Timothy ends up being an elder in the church in Ephesus. And that's where Paul writes his letter to him. And in 2 Timothy 2, 1-2, to he says this, You then, to Timothy, my son, he's been so invested in him that he calls him his son. You then, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see the pattern here? We develop new leaders who develop new leaders who develop new leaders. Paul takes on Timothy and then he puts him in a position of authority in the church in Ephesus and then he says, get some other guys around you to lead this thing. Reliable people. So Paul has his Timmy and I've got my Jimmy. <laughs> and this is exactly what we've been doing for the past three years. Some of you have wondered at why I've been so pedantic at refraining from calling Jimmy a youth pastor it's because we believe that, that, that to be a pastor in the church, you need some, a few requirements. You don't get to be a pastor just by overseeing a ministry. You can be a director of that ministry, but to be a pastor requires a few things of you. And Paul outlines many of those in his letter to Timothy and to Titus. But we also wanted to give you, the church, the opportunity to affirm him in this role being an elder, being a pastor in this church. So the past three years have been part of that process and today we're going to ask you to gather around him and pray for him and commission him as a pastor in our church. So we are switching now, and I'm going to talk more about this later in my report, switching now in terms of our functional governance from having a a one-pastor church to having a plurality of pastors and eldership. That's me and Jimmy now. And the plan is, God willing, that we will add to that number so that just like in the New Testament churches we would be governed by a group of pastors. So, developing new leaders is a key to the health of the church. And this doesn't really fly in Australia where we're all egalitarian and we just say, we don't want any leaders. If we could get rid of the Prime Minister and all of our government officials, that would be awesome and we'd all just have barbecues together, alright? And then and, that, and everything would be screwed forever. Same in the church. The New Testament is unequivocal. Strong leadership and governance is key to the health of the church. And then within that, we release everyone to do the work of ministry. It's Ephesians four, eleven and following. So... We need to adopt the mission. We need to build strong community. We need to cultivate a culture of encouragement. We need to develop new leaders. And finally, we need to expect great things from God. It was the great British missionary, William Carey, who said, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. That's a a great saying to live by. Why should we expect great things from God? Because we're reading through Acts and great things are happening on every single page. Amazing things. And we serve precisely the same God in all of his attributes and essence. Their mission was to be people helping people make all of life all about Jesus, though they didn't use those words. But they were ordinary people empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. We are exactly the same people today. Ordinary people, you and me. We're so ordinary in all of our weaknesses. But as believers, we're empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? It means Jesus is on the throne. As he was then, he is now. He's ruling and reigning over all things. And if that's true, and the mission that we're doing is from him, then who can stop us? If God is for us, who can be against us? We should expect great things from God. And we have the opportunity today to reflect on some of the great things that he has been doing. And we're only going to scratch the surface. And you know what? Of all the stuff we see, only that is scratching the surface of what he's really on about. Doing 10,000 things in every one effort that we make. Jesus is on the throne. Remember his mission? It's called the Great Commission. He gave it to his first disciples after his resurrection, before his ascension. This is what he said to them in Matthew 28. Verse 18 to 20, he says, and Matthew records, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now stop. Whatever he says next, you do it, right? If someone who actually has this authority comes to you and says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, whatever he says next, we're on board with it, right? Right? And whatever he says next will succeed because who's going to stop him? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why do we expect great things from God? Because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus and he is with us. Always. He's with us. All this stuff we're trying to do, he's with us. He's enabling us. He's empowering us. He's encouraging us. So today as we reflect on this year and we look ahead to the years to come, and we consider the mission that God, we believe God has given us. And we think about all of the ways that we can get on board with that as one community, one family. I want to put before you this picture. It's a picture, it's a picture of the, the mission accomplished. The mission that is the church's mission, the church universal, which includes us and spans all of Church history, this mission that God has given us, finds its fulfillment in a vision given to John. I'm going to read you just a snapshot of this, and maybe you want to close your eyes and just imagine the scene. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we're a part of. Jesus is on the throne. He's given us a mission. Now it's time for us to get on with it. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, And were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God. Who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne. And around the elders. And around the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne. And worshipped God. Saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a merciful God and that you speak to us in your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us as a church and given us a great mission to pursue. Lord, I pray that we would not just accept it, but we would adopt it and that in the process we would build a strong community to do this mission together. Lord, by your spirit, enable us to cultivate a culture of encouragement, fan into flame gifts of encouragement in our congregation, bring out the Barnabases in our congregation. Lord, please be with us as we develop new leaders to help empower the church for ministry and mission. And as we do all of this, I pray that we would expect great things from you because you are a great God who sits on the throne now and forever. Amen.